Well, if you're just uh, walking in here for the first time, or maybe the very uh, first in a while, we have been involved in a, in a study that I want to quickly catch you up on. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, what we call Galatians in the New Testament. It's a, a series of reflections over six chapters on some important principles of the Christian life. And uh, we've called this series Real because what Paul is trying to do in this letter is help a group of Christians living in a complicated world uh, to find a more authentic faith. Because there is this constant clamor. There are these voices that are pounding in their head at various times, trying to call them to be about this, to go this direction, in ways that will pull them away from the, from the hope uh, of the way of Jesus. And so Paul is uh, writing this, this impassioned letter to the Christians in Galatia in a part of the world that we now call Turkey uh, and tries to impress these important ideas about it. We're in chapter five today. We're gonna do, go all the way to six next week. Uh, come on back for the final installment in that series. Uh, I will tell you that when we framed out this series, uh, I, w- I knew that Galatians 5 was going to be this text on Father's Day. And I was hoping there would be something in the text uh, that spoke to, to dads, and I found that there is. And you're going to hear about that before we're done today. What I was surprised by was something in the text that actually spoke to the national holiday that we uh, recognized earlier. And that was, for me, sort of the aha uh, moment. Uh, Listen to God's word as it comes to us from Galatians chapter 5 and at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As that particular verse and tomorrow's holiday reminds us, sometimes... Freedom, like many other goods and virtues of life, takes time to have its full effect. And and history demonstrates, and I'm sure you've observed it yourself, that the yoke of slavery in its many different forms is not easily permanently shed. Uh, Our sinful tendencies to, uh, to come under the thrall or the influence of things that dominate us or to dehumanize other people, or to allow uh, patterns of injustice or, or, or personal distortion to persevere in our lives is, is a very familiar uh, problem to every nation in every single era, which is why we all, uh, red, yellow, black, and white, in every part of the world, so desperately need a savior. And it is why it's so good that Jesus has come to be that savior. Um, As you probably know, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation uh, issued by President Abraham Lincoln many years ago uh, aimed to end the institution of chattel slavery. It went into full effect on January the 1st of 1863. Lincoln intended that on that day, all of the shackles of slavery would be shed all across the land. Four million people who had up to that point been in chains, people who were made in God's image, people who uh, deserved full dignity, were finally now going to be granted the identity and the opportunity and the dignity that even our nation's founding documents had said all along that they should have as a God-given right. It was gonna finally happen. 
Yet as a matter of fact, it was not until June 19, Juneteenth in the common uh, parlance, not until June 19th of 1865, almost two years later, that the chains were actually unlocked for a quarter million Americans, a quarter million people living in the, in the state of Texas. For 18 months, I'm putting a sharper point on this, for 18 months, 250,000 people who were legally and deservedly free were, in Paul's words, burdened again by a yoke of slavery. No one bothered to tell them, you're free. You're free. And thousands more African Americans in Delaware and Kentucky wouldn't be truly freed for six months beyond Juneteenth. And this was wrong. This, this was wrong. We meet Paul today at a moment when he is confronting something that's gone wrong. Uh, and we meet him at a moment where he is not just naming the devastating wrong, but also voicing an aspiration to see God's right prevail. And that's always the challenge for us as followers of Jesus. We've got to be honest about what goes wrong, but we also have to believe in, in progress and in, in, in power for change and, and where that power comes from. Uh, so, so Paul is, is wanting to see God's goodwill take its full effect in the life of the people to whom he's writing. And so he writes this fifth chapter in his letter to the Galatians that's all about that. The particular wrong that Paul is so upset about in this particular setting is that though the Galatians have been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are false teachers, he calls them later in his letter, agitators, who have re-enslaved the Galatian Christians to the Judaic law, to the, to the old framework by which um, God's people had been living. Paul had taught them that they were living now in a new era, they was, that, the, that the Old Testament story was profoundly relevant and many parts of it still very much uh, central to what the Christian or the, the New Testament way of living would be, but that ultimately the sacrifice that Christ made upon the cross had freed people. That, that Jesus had freed them from God's judgment on sin. He said, in effect, you do not need to go around anymore doing all of these slavish rituals or worrying about whether you or somebody else has been uh, circumcised, as a, physically speaking, as a mark of your faithfulness, or trying to justify yourself before God by this, by this relentless, obsessive virtue signaling that you're checking all the boxes of the law off. You don't need to live that way anymore. That's like being in chains. And you're free. Christ's sacrifice on the cross has freed you. Paul literally puts it like this in verse two. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, and we're not talking about doing that for health reasons these days. This was a religious act. That, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. In other words, if you think that your obedience to the moral code, uh, signified in the Jewish time by, by circumcision, if you think that's gonna save you, then you better start working harder at it. You better do it perfectly. You better not miss a checkbox. If you think that you're gonna prove yourself worthy of God's 
love. I'd advise against that kind of slavish mentality, but you better go for it if that's, if that's your strategy. But I want you to know, you don't have to. You don't have to live that way. You're ignoring the value of what Jesus did on the cross when you try and live that way. You who are trying to be justified by the law, he says uh, in verse four, you've been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. Every time you go back to thinking, I can earn it, I can be good enough, you're sort of stepping further away from Jesus and from the grace he's offering to you as your hope. For through the Spirit, he writes, we, we eagerly we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Now, I'm going to say more about this in just a moment, but the key idea here is that the righteousness we seek, nothing wrong with seeking righteousness. Uh, righteousness is understood as being aligned with God and, and, and living in a way that's the healthiest possible way of living. Nothing wrong with that aspiration. But, but the righteousness and the capacity to have that righteousness doesn't come so much from our power and our performance as it does from God moving in us and through us to make amazing things possible. It's faith in Christ, Paul is trying to say. It's faith in Christ, not our religion that's the key thing. It's our real, authentic relationship with Jesus, not our rituals, that are our hope. Paul says in verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Don't make it complicated, he's saying. The number one thing is stay connected to Jesus and express your connection through loving other people in his name in the way that he loves. This is the basic. And then he goes on and asks this question. Verse seven, you were running a good race. He's talking to the Galatians here. You guys were on it. Women, men, you were heading in the right direction. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? <laughs> that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. You're not gonna hear the one, Jesus, who is really calling you, saying, go ahead. You know, try and obey all of the laws. Uh, make that your objection. No, Jesus wouldn't ever try and put ankle, chain ankles or ankle chains around you as you're trying to run the race. Uh, he wants to see you run free. It's why he gave himself on the cross for your sake. Think about this, Paul is saying. And if you do, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. If you really ponder the difference between the way of the law and the way of grace, you're gonna choose the way of grace. It makes so much more sense. And then he starts to get really, really intense because the people that he loves have been emancipated by the proclamation of Jesus himself on the cross. And you remember this proclamation. He's up there on the cross, his arms are stretched out and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, free them, free them. But some people are treating them as if, the Galatians, as if, in fact, telling them that they still are slaves to the law. You better do it right. You better get all those 
moral merit badges. And it just makes Paul mad. It makes him really mad to see people being called to that kind of a life. One summer when I was in college, um, I took a job working on an offshore oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. It was a, a radically new experience for me. Um, grew up in the Northeast. I'm now down in the Gulf uh, with a very interesting crew of, of people. I, I, I learned there there are multiple intelligences. <laughs> I, re, I, I realized, oh, I always assumed my ability to write essays and use words was like the supreme intelligence. I got on the oil rig and I realized, oh, there are engineering intelligences, and I have none of it, and I'm useless out here. I'm, I'm, I'm just not very valuable out here. Uh, but I was learning a lot from the experience of working alongside of these people and seeing a whole industry in American life that uh, I had known nothing about, the whole, whole oil business. And, uh, but I, I came under the, 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 um, the sway of a supervisor named Floyd. And Floyd, for some reason, did not like me. Uh, I, I must have represented things that just annoyed Floyd at the core level because he... He decided to make my life as unhappy as he could and just use his power in all kinds of ways that were hard. You know. He discovered I got seasick, so he chose me as the guy who was always selected to, to ride the personnel basket down to the supply ships that came in and to have to wrap cable around pipes and things like that. And he would just st stand up at the railing and look down and watch me as I you know, alternately wrapped cable and threw up over the side of the barge, you know, uh, he, at one particular occasion, uh, he, he says, come here, High Pockets. They called me High Pockets. I was the tallest guy in the rig. And, and he said, High Pockets, I, I want you to paint this floor. Like it's a huge room, this giant room inside of the rig. Uh, big, and you have to go around all this machinery. And he said, I want you to paint that. And I'm going, wow, that's, that's odd because it looks like it was just painted. And it had been just painted. It was perfect condition. And uh, he says, no, no, I think you need to paint it. And he handed me a one and a half inch paintbrush. It was hot in that room. And I just started this slavish process of just doing what my master told me. And I'm just painting and I'm painting. Well, it happens that, that the head of the oil rig, a uh, guy named, uh, they call him the tool pusher, uh, comes by and he sees me painting this floor. And he says, what are you doing? And I says, I'm painting the floor. He says, it has just been painted. It's in perfect. It doesn't need your effort. Uh, and it definitely doesn't need your effort with that little brush. Why are you doing this? And I said, I'm just following orders. I, I, I'm just doing what Floyd told me. And, and, I, and I, I take a little bit of delight in knowing it did not go well for Floyd. <laughs> I just admit that. Admit that. Um, I tell you the story because Paul goes on and says here, the one who is throwing you into confusion, the, the people that are telling you to go live by the law, to try and do life with a little one and a half inch paintbrush, um, whoever that may be will have to pay the penalty, he says. In other words, Christ, the big boss, is not going to be happy with people who try to perpetuate the slave trade in whatever field they're working. He's not happy with those people. And then Paul goes on to stress, I hope you don't think that's me. He says to the Galatians, I hope you don't think I am a legalist that wants you to be doing the things that these agitators are telling you. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross that I've been preaching has been abolished. Uh, No, Paul says, I'm being persecuted because I am preaching a message that I know is offensive to some people. And the message is simply this. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. You can never be good enough on your own merits to satisfy, to make a holy God go, oh, I I have to welcome you and you because you're just like me. You can't do that. And you don't have to, Paul is saying. You just don't have to. Uh, just put your faith in Jesus Christ and how he, how he perfectly lived and how he paid fully for your sins upon the cross, how he, in a sense, painted over everything that needed painting over with the blood of Christ. You know, just put your faith in that and you will be free. Trust in grace. Trust in his goodness. Not your own. And live your life freely and in gratitude for that. Do good things just in gratitude now not just trying to prove yourself. Does that make any sense? Okay, so now Paul really goes off. And he says, as for those agitators, those legalists making everybody miserable with their impossible standards and refusal of the gospel of grace, he says, I wish they would go the whole way, meaning the whole way past circumcision and emasculate themselves. It's Paul's way of saying, we don't need those legalists reproducing. We don't need more. Hard-bitten, legalists, forcing other people to live their life with this little brush. That's what he's saying. We don't want that kind of person reproducing um, or multiplying. Okay, up to now, we've been doing a Bible study. Okay, we've been, I've been walking you verse by verse by verse through this, this wonderful text. And we're going to come back to that text in just a minute. But I want to pause our playback of this letter and just acknowledge here on Father's Day how really grateful I am that my earthly father did reproduce. Uh, I'm glad that your dads reproduced and that you're here. And And I imagine as we think about it, we're grateful for a lot of things about our earthly dads, not to deny that some have tougher stories in that area. Um, I will say in my own experience, my dad just gave me so much. He gave me life. I don't mean just biological life. He gave me everything, so much that I needed to thrive in this life and showed me the ways of making the most of life. But as I ponder the the message of Galatians 5, I think to one particular encounter I had with my father that I want to share with you in the hopes that maybe it will speak to you too. Uh, I was in the fifth grade. And uh, I was living in a suburb of Manhattan, and, and uh, I, 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 earlier that particular day that I'm remembering, um, I had been caught stealing candy bars from the carousel convenience store uh, at the top of the, of the, of the hill in, our, in my town. And uh, I wish I could say to you, um, I had never stolen anything before. Uh, but truthfully, at that moment in my life, eh, I had gotten somewhat acclimated to this. It was something of a game for me. How much could I get away with and how often? And and, and it had become so ingrained a pattern for me, I don't think I felt the wrongness of it. It was just kind of a fun activity for me to do this in the way that I think sin sometimes gets ingrained in any of us to the point where we, we no longer even examine it seriously. We just, it's just something we do. Uh, I wonder if like slaveholding was like that. The people that, that were slaveholders once, maybe just they, they didn't even see anymore 
that there was a problem with this uh, treatment of people. Um, so that particular day, um, I had been caught, and um, I will tell you that, that, that even more than eating the chocolate uh, itself, I had enjoyed the, the feeling of power that came from taking something that I just wanted for me. And, and I like the affirmation that my friend gave me for how daring I was about doing this, and I especially enjoyed the thrill of getting away with it until that day I didn't get away with it. Until that day, I looked up into the eyes of Mr. Myers, no relation, S on the end of his name, who was the owner of the carousel store, a man who I knew had liked me quite a bit, and I saw the hurt, and I saw the disappointment in his face. And for the first time, I felt what I should have been feeling all along, and that was a deep sense of shame over what was a pretty bald-faced, basic sin. Uh, and it went right to my core. And my mom picked me up and, and uh, ab abruptly sort of broke my schedule for the day, <laughs> took me home, threw me into my bedroom, and said those words that you probably heard, wait till your father gets home. You know, it strikes terror into a kid's heart. And I sit in my room, and I'm roiling with anxiety about my dad arriving home and... and an eternity, at least two hours, went by, and, and, and I'm called into my father's study at home. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I sit down in this big wingback chair that makes me feel really, really small, and my dad's there behind his big desk, and he just sits there for the first few moments, he just looks at me. And then he says with this kind of pained expression on his face, Danny, that's what they called me then, Danny. I'm just trying to understand. Um, did mom and I um, not feed you enough that you felt you had to steal uh, to, get, to get food? No, dad, no, no. Did, did, did we not teach you the difference between right and wrong? Did, were you unclear that, that, that stealing wasn't a good idea? No, Dad. Did, did, you, did you not think about what this would do to Mr. Myers, who, who likes you, that, that you would do this to him? And, and my dad just went on like this for a while, just asking these questions that sort of made, took the sin in my life and made me look at it from every single angle, all its facets, and, and to see its absurdity and its perversity and its cupidity and its stupidity. And, and to, I got to the point where after a while, I just wanted to shout, no, Dad, please beat me. Stop asking me these questions. I mean, just, you know, ground me. Tell me how many times I need to mow the lawn to pay Mr. Myers back. Please stop this. Before I could cry that out, my dad said, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. He said, I'm... Um, Tomorrow you're going you're gonna to go in after school and you're going to ask Mr. Myers if you could talk with him and you're going to say, I'm deeply sorry for disrespecting you in this way. I'm, I'm deeply sorry. And I'll pay him back. I said, no. My dad said, no, no. The debt's already been paid. Mom and I covered it today. Um, you're not going to be punished. This, this conversation... It's enough. Um, 
we believe you're never going to sin again in this way. You're not going to steal again in this way. Um, I will tell you, I walked out of that study a free fifth grader. Free in two really critical ways that I think could have implications for you too and I think do tie into what Paul's saying in this letter. Um, the two ways that I want to think about it get, get described in Galatians chapter 5. When Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, there are two particular senses of freedom in which I think he means this. First of all, when we put our faith in Christ, when we, when we stop believing in ourselves and more in him, we obtain freedom from the judgment that our sin deserves. Most of us, actually, I'm going to dare to say, have no clue what our sin deserves. We don't even have a, cl a clear understanding of our sin. Because sin, by its nature, is a spiritual eye disease. It's, it's something that keeps us from seeing clearly the circumstances, or our own condition, or other people, or God. And, and so we go about the behavior very often uh, not at all tuned into what a problem it is. Uh, like I, I didn't, you know, as a fifth grader and probably in too many other ways to this day. Um, but God sees it all. God sees everything, all that we've done, all that we haven't done, what it means to him, what it means to other people. He feels it deeply. But regardless of that reality, of knowing what we would deserve, God has chosen through the power of Christ's cross to absorb the punishment that should be yours and mine. The past sin, the present, all the future sin, Jesus soaks it in to himself at the cross like a sponge and does away with it, owns it. And, and the debt that we owed for our sins is, has been fully paid. In fact, the, the words Jesus speaks on the cross, it is finished in the Aramaic language, literally mean to telestai, that's the word, it means debt canceled. Stolen candy paid for, infinitely, okay? So by his grace, by his grace, not by our works, in fact, that word grace is a great one, God's riches at Christ's expense, by his grace, not our works. All of us who put our faith in him are forgiven and we're freed now to live our life anew. And that last part's really important because life in Christ isn't just about what we have been freed from, which is judgment, but what we have been freed for, which means the righteous life of the kingdom of God. And we've been freed from our sin through the power of the cross. We're freed for the life of the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us up and works in and through our lives. I think my dad paid my debt and forgave my sin in the belief that grace might have an even more powerful effect on me than punishment. And he was right. Mr. Meyer's candy was safe from these hands from then on. Never again. I wanted to be a more honest fifth grader because I thought not that I couldn't get away with it again. I thought I probably could. But I knew I couldn't get away from the feeling that I had when my father gave me that grace. Does that make sense? 
That was so powerful. It, it, it did something in me. It made me want to have a more generous spirit like him and not be some, you know, candy stealer. So, so whether we are fifth grade or whether you're your age or a lot older, you know, we all have these appetites, these, these desires. We battle these, these, these uh, longings or lusts of the sinful nature. It's what St. Paul calls the flesh. We all have our candy that we're inclined to go towards. Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. There's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, a lot of what happens at fraternities (laughs) and reality shows and in too many places, some people actually call those behaviors freedom, but they're just slavery. They're just, we're just enslaved by our passions. They own us. Our anger owns us. Our envy owns us. Our lust owns us. I think we, we can all come to terms with that. Uh, Chuck Colson, the White House staffer uh, of your and the founder of Prison Fellowship, once observed this. He said, Americans have achieved what modernism presented as life's great shining purpose. What was the great shining purpose? Individual autonomy the right to do what one chooses. Yet this, says Colson, has not produced the promised freedom. <laughs> it hasn't led to the utopia we, we hoped for. It, it has led instead to the loss of community, the loss of civility, to kids shooting kids in schoolyards, to citizens huddling in gated communities for protection, Colson says, we have discovered that we can't live with the chaos that inevitably results from choice divorced from God. Now, we don't have to just live with the chaos. Uh, We can stop putting our faith so much in ourselves and open ourselves more to Christ. Jesus has not just freed us from judgment, Jesus has freed us for the life of the kingdom, a better life than we often settle for, and one that doesn't rely on our strength alone. And this is really good news. You are doing something amazing today. You're a small percentage of Americans today sitting in a church or attending church online. You are intentionally uh, spending your time opening yourself up to the word of God, to trying to see the face of God, to trying to absorb the heart of God. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing today. Um, and, and, and many of you will go on after today and do an, more beautiful things. You, you, you'll, you'll read your Bible, you'll pray, you'll, you'll seek out a company, a small group of other Christians in fellowship, you'll serve with your gifts someplace, you'll, 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 you'll express some further desire to keep connecting to Christ. And I wanna say to you, As you do this, as you connect to Christ, he fills you up. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, says Jesus. You will bear much fruit. I will flow through you by the power of my Holy Spirit and and begin to change you from the inside out. And And the evidence that you have been changed, the evidence that your connection with me is real, is real, 
is that new kinds of tendencies will replace the old desires and passions of the flesh. And Paul lists some of them for us. You will increasingly be filled, for the fruit of the Spirit, says Paul, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Which of those qualities have you admired in your dad? Which of those fruit of the Spirit have you seen in him? And if he's still alive, tell him about that today. Say thank you for modeling that. Thank you for making the investment, the connections with Christ that helped produce that. I've seen so many of those fruit in my dad's life over the years. They've grown over the years in, in really wonderful ways. Um, and I think of, of the fathers I've observed who model this sort of way of life. And one of them I want to think about with you in closing today is a guy named E. Stanley Jones. Uh, most of you have never heard of E. Stanley Jones, and that's okay. He was an American missionary of an earlier age. He gave most of his adult life to serving amongst the Dalit people of India, which means they're the lowest of the castes in India and and the poorest of the poor, and, and E. Stanley Jones served them. Uh, over the years, the service that he did there was so impressive to so many people, he became a personal friend of Mahatma Gandhi. He became a personal advisor of Franklin D. Roosevelt, the president of these United States. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. credited one of Jones's best-selling books as having inspired him to pursue a philosophy of nonviolence in his pursuit of, of civil rights. Uh, if you have ever read one of Stanley Jones's many, many books and devotionals, you'll be struck by how permeated this enormously influential man's writings are with one word. And the word is surrender. Surrender. Not me, Lord, but you. What happens to the self, he writes, when surrendered to God? Does God wipe it out? Nope, says Jones. He merely wipes it clean. He wipes it clean of selfishness as we surrender to him. The very act of self-surrender gives God the opportunity to cleanse us from selfishness with our consent. Though the things he brings to us, the failures, the conflicts, the challenges that invite that surrender, that's not easy training. But as we surrender and submit to these things, to the crucible of these things, even to failure, something wonderful happens in us. Having cleansed us of our central selfishness, says Jones, God gives our self back to us. And it's a paradox, but you're never so much your own as when you are most his. Bound to him, shackled to him, you walk the earth free. Though at his feet, you stand straight before everything else. You suddenly realize that you have aligned yourself 
with the creative force of the universe. And now you are free. Free to create, free to love, free to live, free to live to your maximum, free to be all that he wills for you to be. So stand firm, says Paul. Stand firm in that identity. Don't get dragged off the track. Stand firm. Do not let yourselves or anybody else that you know for that matter be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do not let them be burdened by a yoke of slavery to the old law, to the sinful fleshly self, to, to, to the power of other people. Don't let it happen. Surrender only to the power of the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit, because it is from judgment and for the life of the kingdom that Christ has set you and me truly, really, fully free. Thanks be to God. Would you rise to your feet? Because I'm going to let you go. And just say, in conclusion, if we can pray for any concern in your life, head to the prayer banner. Or talk online, just say, I'd like prayer, and the host will help you. If you would like to know a little bit more about this place, an opening to share about you, come to Christ Church in Five, right up here with Sue Ann after the service. And beloved, as you go out into this wonderful Father's Day, go forth in hope. Seek out the way of Jesus in all of your goings. Lift up people who may have fallen down. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be yours this day and until we meet again. Come back for chapter six next week. God bless you. Go in peace.